This is the Healthcare Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. No industry, including sick care, can be fixed from inside. For every one hour that they spend on patient care, they're spending up to two hours on EHR data entry. Well, welcome to the podcast today, everybody. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and joining me on the line is Dr. Anthony Harris. He's the VP over on-site clinical operations. He's the associate medical director at WorkCare, Inc., and he's the founder of BioErgo. Dr. Anthony Harris, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today, sir. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it to be here. Absolutely. You have a lot of titles. So yeah, you're an important guy. It's, uh, it's, it's fun to get to talk to people like you that uh, are just so involved in, in lots of different areas. But today we're talking about preventing and managing injuries sustained in the workplace. And I want to just start off by setting up uh, the problem that's taking place across the country, if we can, Dr. Harris. Just what's the issue that's taking place in workplaces around the country? And, uh, and what are some steps that we, can, that we can take to solve it? So let's start off just by setting up the problem. What's going on across workplaces? Sure. So the problem has been articulated and elevated over the last several years, uh, in particular by the National Safety Council. Uh, So in 2016, National Safety Council uh, published a a lot of uh, data and reports on the number one type of workplace injury, and it was uh, cumulative trauma or overuse uh, or overexertion uh, injuries. And Particularly what overexertion injuries are, are those uh, back injuries and shoulder injuries that happen over time. And, and so uh, what over, and the trend over time has been is that these injuries uh, have bubbled to the top because the industries and various industries have done a pretty decent job of addressing some of the other types of injuries in the workplace, like the uh, fire hazards, the slip trips and falls, and uh, you know uh, other safety preventative measures that have been deployed. Um, but uh, there hasn't been over time any really good tools uh, to address the uh, cumulative trauma or overexertion injuries in the workplace. And so, uh, if we look at the data on uh, the number of injuries and the cost of those injuries in the workplace. Um, we're, we're, we're dealing with big numbers here. Uh, if you look at the costs associated with a back injury, it can be as high as $80,000, uh, and that's the average. And if you look at total sum of the direct costs uh, of, of these type of injuries in the workplace, uh, we're talking uh, 15 to $20 billion in direct medical costs alone. And that number, uh, that number triples uh, up to 50 to $60 billion in some reports, including the National Safety Council. Uh, and, and so that's an annualized cost to businesses, to the medical uh, communities as well. Uh, and certainly, uh, and most importantly, that's a cost to the individuals, to the workers who are suffering these injuries that could be uh, 100% preventable. Absolutely. So we're talking about painful injuries, but also then costly injuries. And, and that's obviously something that is concerning both to those individuals, like you mentioned, and then also to the businesses that employ them. Um, so what advancements and what technology has been, uh, what, what advancements have taken place that have allowed us to maybe know a little bit more about these injuries uh, and maybe collect some data on those? What, what, what advancements have been made in this field over the last several years? 
Sure. So if we can take a quick trip back, uh, let's say 30 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, the state of the art 30 years ago with regard to addressing these type of overexertion injuries uh, was a uh, uh, way of looking at ergonomics. So ergonomics is the study of uh, human machine interface, essentially. And uh, 30 years ago, uh, we came out with the, the, the science came out with uh, Reba rapid entire body assessments, uh, RULA rapid upper limb assessments, and uh, some of the uh, biggest uh, improvements have been uh, schnook tables, uh, which came actually in the 60s uh, from uh, two uh, founders with uh, Mutual uh, uh, Liberty Mutual. And uh, those tables helped employers and uh, uh, environmental health and safety professionals uh, really understand and start to put to number some of the impacts that uh, various jobs are having on workers. Uh, and so we would look at body angles, we would look at uh, how heavy uh, the materials uh, were being handled, and then the distances and, and the whole nine uh, of uh, analyzing the impact of moving these materials, interfacing with machines uh, to the human physiology. Uh, one uh, methodology I uh, um, would be remiss to, to mention is uh, the NIOSH lifting equation. So, uh, you know, th there, there were both uh, public as well as private entities trying to get after the problem uh, to better understand the impact uh, of these type of exposures uh, in the workplace. And as we fast forward from, you know, the mid uh, to late 60s up until the 90s uh, and then until uh, today, we still have been using these classic tools um, uh, uh, and still are used uh, ubiquitously across the table uh, to try to understand these type of uh, uh, injuries and impact uh, to the human physiology. So as we leap forward now um, to what's coming and what's here and what we're doing uh, in work care is we're deploying wearable technology. And uh, the technology uh, was born actually back in the late 70s, only in the clinical setting. Uh, it was uh, in the clinical setting that we were able to apply uh, a technology called surface electromyography. Um, if anyone has ever uh, recalled the Million Dollar Man um, uh, running on the treadmill and has a bunch of leads uh, and wires uh, hooked to his body. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so that, that picture uh, is exactly what uh, we're talking about, where they were looking at his muscle activity while he was exercising to understand how do we make this uh, individual better, faster, right, more nimble. And so in the same way your doctor, when you go for a visit and get an EKG, will put several leads on your um, chest to look at the activity of your heart muscle and look at how hard it's working to determine the impact uh, from a risk standpoint uh, of that uh, exertion on your heart. Uh, we do the same thing with regard to looking at other muscles that are important for determining risk factors for shoulder injury, back injury, knee, groin, and the whole nine. Uh, and so it's a holistic way of looking at uh, these type of uh, injury exposures. And uh, in short, we don't have to measure uh, some of the classic metrics any, any longer, uh, such as body angles and uh, push-pull forces uh, and, and whatnot, because those are all proxies for what's actually happening to the human body. And we're now able to directly look at, using this technology, the responsiveness of the human body and the actual muscle exertion 
while workers are doing their normal job. And so it's been a really uh, cool opportunity for us to deliver objective data uh, to um, employers, to health and safety professionals uh, in, in the uh, shadow of the, the classic approaches um, that have still incorporated uh, to a large extent subjective inputs uh, to try to determine and quantify uh, these level of risks in the workplace. Absolutely. So are employers able to get back data that would give them insight, like uh, this is the amount of strain that's put on the body for this particular task, so then they're able to more effectively and efficiently monitor monitor their employees for the amount of strain that they are putting on their body so they can then maybe manage that workload better? Is that something that you would see as maybe an outcome from this? Absolutely. That's a direct outcome. Uh, and uh, when we talk about quantifying the exertion or demand that's put on the body so that you can mitigate risk downstream, uh, we're talking about uh, a concept of uh, primary prevention. Okay, so I'm, I'm board certified in occupational and environmental medicine, and we fall under a preventative medicine umbrella in our specialty. And uh, classically in medicine, we've, uh, as ph physicians and clinicians, we've done uh, tertiary prevention quite well, right? And tertiary prevention, for example, is you come in with a cut to your finger, and we'll assess and stitch it up so that you don't get a finger infection and potentially have long-term uh, disability as a result of of, you know, an injury, permanent injury to that finger uh, from the infection. The secondary prevention, kind of next box, if you would, uh, of prevention uh, is if you're in the workplace and you're starting to have some shoulder pain as a result of doing a particular task over and over, uh, then that uh, moment of intervention we call secondary prevention because you may not yet have an actual injury, um, but we can uh, intervene when you have symptoms to prevent that injury from happening, right? And so what we're talking about now as we deploy wearable technology uh, is in the what we consider the green zone, right? If each box is a different color, the primary prevention is the green zone. Workers are healthy, uh, don't have any symptoms necessarily, and they're doing their job just fine. The yellow zone, secondary prevention, uh, it means that they're having symptoms, and obviously tertiary prevention is the red zone where you have an injury. So as a practice in preventative medicine, we're and our group is pushing uh, the boundaries towards primary prevention and delivering metrics uh, for employers to understand and mitigate risk far be, uh, before uh, their workers start to experience any symptoms at all. And that's the kind of holy grail of where we as a practice want to live uh, because, again, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So we, we, we have been successful in delivering those objective uh, uh, metrics to the employers so that they can directly then intervene. One good example of that intervention is job rotation. So right now, if you're in the workplace and you're doing a particular job over and over, uh, then that repetitive nature of the job is impacting perhaps, let's say, your uh, right shoulder or your left shoulder over and over. And so now we can quantify directly the impact of that job on the shoulder and determine uh, an actual dose uh, limit for that uh, particular job, meaning that uh, this work, these workers experience fatigue after doing this particular job for four hours. And so now employers can then take that data 
and it's actionable. So tomorrow they can actually change their work schedule uh, to rotate the workers from that job at four hours to another job that we've already determined is lower risk for a shoulder, for example. And it's that dynamic that uh, has not been possible previously because of the subjectivity of the assessments. And having the objective, consistent, repeatable data uh, is what uh, is pushing us forward. So this would obviously require, uh, be, because you want the, the data to be objective and, and you want to have a lot of data to ensure that your, then I'm guessing that, that to, to ensure that your findings are consistent across the board, right? So, so you have to have a vast collection of data, I would assume, over a lot of different industries. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So as we move forward and collecting more and more data, I mean, we're, we're, we are talking about big data. Right. Um, this is uh, certainly in the realm of IoT, Internet of Things, uh, and uh, the data points that we collect are vast. For example, with eight workers in the course of one, uh, one session or one day within a couple hours, we generate over a million data points. And each of those data points are important in determining what those workers are experiencing uh, for that particular job. And it's with that uh, level of data that we're able to then draw um, patterns and, and uh, use our clinical algorithms that we've uh, constructed from evidence-based medicine uh, several years ago uh, to, to help employers understand the risk factors that exist in the workplace. Uh, and uh, when we talk about uh, forward-looking of uh, additional uh, value-added analysis, um, you know, opportunities that we've uh, doubled down on in terms of partnering with uh, a Google in one of the programs here in Chicago uh, to help us uh, do some machine learning around the data that we're collecting so that now, uh, whereas me as a clinician uh, would not be able to look at those vast amounts of data and try to uh, see patterns uh, that help predict risk, uh, we can teach a machine uh, to do that analysis and to help us uh, really be uh, even more prospective in our prognostication of risk for these type of injuries. Sure, absolutely. So as we're talking about this, the question just kind of came to mind. Uh, for somebody like me who thinks of uh, wearable uh, technology just as a Fitbit or something like that, what do these wearables look like and how can they you know, function in the workplace? Sure. So there are all sorts of types of wearables, as you're as you're suggesting. You know, there's smart glasses, smart watches, smart phones. Uh, um, there's smart clothing, and smart clothing is what we're talking about. Uh, if you look at the trend uh, um, of uh, smart clothing, particularly in the U.S., um, the compound annual growth of uh, units of delivery, uh, the units delivered of wearable technology, and particularly smart clothing, is 22, uh, roughly 22 percent. Uh, compound annual growth. And uh, the number of units are going to climb upwards towards 20 million um, by 2022, uh, according to some reports. And that's a trend that certainly is showing us that uh, the market and, and individuals in the U.S. are really ready for wearable technology and accepting wearable technology. Uh, in particular, in the workplace, there's a Chrono survey that was conducted uh, in uh, 2016. And that survey uh, uh, looked at adult workers, 18 or older, and asked the question, Are do you believe that wearable technology could be used in a workplace setting uh, for the benefit of individuals as well as the business? 
and overwhelmingly the response um, uh, globally um, uh, was uh, in in the high 90s. China, I believe, was 94%. Mexico was in uh, 96%. Uh, um, uh, but unfortunately, the U.S. was a little lagging behind. We were only about 46%, I recall, in that survey. And so that just suggests that we have some work to do. Uh, one, as an industry of uh, and, 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 uh, environmental health and safety, and two, as clinicians, uh, to really uh, uh, deliver tools that can be useful and uh, actionable in terms of the data it produces. Um, we talk about actionable data, right? Uh, one of the opportunities I had recently was to sit down with uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, who's uh, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and running for um, pre president, probably the youngest to ever run for a U.S. president now. Uh, and when we met with him to try to understand how we can partner to use and deploy wearable technology to keep his firefighters and police officers safe, uh, he, very, very brilliant guy, and, and within the first five minutes said, hey, look, I get it. You guys are wearable technology. You produce a lot of data, uh, and often when we encounter uh, in the past technology companies like yourself, um, you tend to plop a lot of data down in our lap and then kind of walk away and we have no idea what to do with it. And that is certainly uh, his um, uh, his his experience is not isolated, right? And we've seen that over time that uh, if you are not delivering with these IoT and wearable technology solutions, actionable data, uh, things that uh, in, employers and customers can take immediately and implement uh, change, then you're not really providing a tool that is substantial in regards to making the impact uh, that you're seeking to, 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 uh, to change. And so we've been delivered, uh, de excuse me, we've been <laughs> deliberate. <laughs> Amen, right? We've been deliberate uh, in how we've uh, addressed uh, transforming these vast amounts of data into some into nuggets that employers can then take and make uh, um, both uh, clinical and health and safety decisions, but also business decisions, right? And so when I talk about the business decisions, I'm putting my MBA hat on, and we start talking about and engaging in productivity analysis. Mm -hmm. So as we break down um, our process for uh, employers, we break down the job uh, level. Uh, 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 type of activities in the workplace down to tasks. And then when we talk about productivity, we break those tasks down a step uh, more granular into subtasks. And this science has been uh, around since the 60s as well. H.B. Maynard uh, was the pioneer of, um, uh, of this approach. Uh, it's called the standard labor, where a, a normal worker under normal levels of exertion should be able to do a particular job and task within a certain amount of time. And you can go and directly measure that on the shop floor, for instance. And uh, the activities and tasks and subtasks involve literally a reach and a turn and a, and a grasp, and then uh, a lift and then setting something down. Each of those activities are considered, uh, we consider subtasks. And so we can, uh, in our process, um, by default, time those tasks, have a visual representation, uh, and then also, uh, excuse me, have a uh, exertional representation uh, of those different tasks and how it's affecting that individual and how it's contributing globally to the overall risk for the various types of injuries we look at. Uh, and so when we talk about productivity in the context of exertion, there's clear literature associating overexertion with decreased productivity. 
So as we quantify the level of exertion that workers are experiencing in those jo these particular jobs, um, we've had a lot of success with, uh, for instance, uh, warehouse workers and these large distribution companies um, to understand how can they increase productivity of their pickers um, by decreasing uh, the exertion that they're experiencing with different tasks. So it, there's so many different use cases for this type of data as we talk about, you know, the, the largest and the most you know, valuable asset in the workplace is uh, the people. And so what we do is understand how can we more effectively keep people safe and also boost their productivity through decreasing overexertion. Absolutely. And it sounds like with that that level of granularity that you're able to get to, that you're able to then tailor uh, the data and tailor your approach to the specific job. So if it's a job that maybe requires people to be on their feet the entire time, maybe you take a look at something different. Uh, is that something that you're able to do to kind of, I suppose, personalize the approach to a certain extent to understand what uh, exertion each job requires? Sure. So we actually, um, uh, certainly we can tailor um, per, um, per se uh, our approach, but the, uh, how we tailor the approach is not from a measuring standpoint because our when we do measure uh, workers, we're actually measuring the entire body, upper uh, extremity, lower extremity as well. And so uh, in, in any given session of data capture, we're getting in all of it. Um, whether you're uh, doing an assessment on uh, use of a, you know, um, a, a boot uh, that's supposed to be more ergonomically uh, designed, or whether you're trying to understand uh, when guys are standing on top of a carrier and they're loading um, uh, material into a, a tanker um, via a hose, we can do that same analysis uh, or those those two different analyses with the same approach from the wearable tech standpoint. And that's important for uh, uh, two particular reasons, right? Uh, when we set out to design and deliver this tool, we wanted to one, uh, simplify uh, ergonomic evaluation. And we achieved that with this approach, meaning that whether you're measuring a very complex job or a pretty simple job, the approach is exactly the same and it's uh, super simple. Meaning you can operate, if you can operate a smartphone, you can become an ergonomist in regards to doing this type of data capture. Uh, and then two, we had to bend the cost curve, right? We, we just don't have enough um, uh, ergonomic, er, er, ergonomic professionals uh, in, in the U.S., let alone globally, to address the burden of overexertion uh, in, in the industries, various industries. And so uh, providing a tool that um, uh, these professionals can then deploy and then scale leveraging technology was very important and deliberate in regards to how we approach this uh, uh, tool in, in solving the problem in the workplace. So the um, variability in how we do the data capture mainly exists in terms of what outcome you're looking for, whether it's uh, the ergonomic intervention or whether it's the productivity intervention. And that's basically the two modalities of data capture. The productivity capture requires you just to catalog your jobs, tasks, and subtasks, whereas the first piece of it, the ergonomic surveillance, uh, requires only the first two layers, the jobs and the tasks. Do you have conversations often maybe with people who are you know, employers, basically, um, mm -hmm. about the 
the upfront cost versus the benefits on the backside of having more productive employees and that sort of thing. So there's obviously a cost associated up front and they have to then think through, okay, how can I best, you know, rotate employees and that sort of thing. So there's, there's time and there's cost up front, but then on the back end, uh, avoiding injuries, uh, like we talked about at the beginning that are costly and then having more productive employees down the road. Do you have a conversation with employers about that? Just about understanding the cost up front versus the, the benefits down the road? We do. We do. And actually over the, even the, the last uh, uh, three to four years we've been doing this, uh, the conversations have changed, right? We, we uh, started out having the conversation around uh, keeping workers safe and prevention and the, the ROI, return on investment of preventative uh, interventions, and, and particularly with ergonomics and overexertion injuries. Uh, and we get down to the numbers pretty often. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned the average uh, back injury in the U.S. can cost uh, about $80,000. Um, and uh, right away, uh, you can see the ROI from this service by preventing even just one back injury, let alone you know, the multitude of injuries uh, from carpal tunnel to uh, epicondylitis, uh, tennis elbow, uh, to, to the others I mentioned previously. Um, but over the last several years, what we've noticed is the conversation is shifting um, from uh, one of us uh, having to evangelize the benefits and the return on investment of these preventative interventions to uh, one of, okay, what, what are the next steps uh, is kind of the question we get from employers. Uh, how are we going to communicate um, this type of data capture and what we're doing to the unions and explain the benefit to them? So it's no longer um, a sense of uh, we don't understand as employers uh, the benefits and the return on investment. It's more of what are the best practices for deploying these type of solutions in the workplace so that we can reap the ROI uh, of these interventions. Interesting. Do, do you ever have uh, employees push back on having their data captured or anything like that? Is that ever a conversation that comes up in this in, in this realm? It, the conversation does come up, but it usually comes up not from the employees directly, but from the uh, EHS managers, the health and safety professionals, mm-hmm. um, um, as a precaution, right? And certainly, we've talked to risk management and the whole HR, uh, and these are conversations that we uh, want to have up front um, because we know that they're going to, at some point, um, bubble up, and we want to uh, be a unified front in how we answer them. And there are clear pra- best practices um, that we uh, deploy. Uh, And actually, I gave a talk in New Orleans about two weeks ago on a panel talking about just this, how, what are the best practices for deploying wearable technology uh, and IoT type solutions in the workplace. And one of the important ones uh, is just around uh, what we're talking about now, uh, that you as an employer and certainly as a vendor uh, engage in conversations with employees around what are the benefits and why we're going to use this data and how the data is going to be captured uh, and secured and as well as the outcome, right? So uh, uh, having unclear uh, goals uh, communicated uh, or not communicated to employees leads them to kind of make up their own determination of this is good or bad, right? Um, But we found that when we come uh, to the conversation leading in with this is how we're going to use the data and this is not how we're going to use the data, uh, then the conversation typically goes quite well. And we just won the support of uh, a couple of unions, uh, uh, large unions, 50,000 workers plus, um, because we were able to address their concerns from a data capture 
uh, standpoint. Now, certainly when we talk about the type of data we're capturing, uh, it doesn't cross the litmus test of um, PHI, personal health information, and we were deliberate in uh, not capturing that type of information upfront. We are not a you know, clinic, right? I am a doctor, but we don't run a clinic uh, when we talk about doing this type of data capture. Uh, we're providing uh, objective data around exertion, and it's much like you would do a, a sampling in the workplace for, let's say, noise exposure, right? Oftentimes, uh, workers will have a little microphone that they don uh, throughout their workday, and a, a safety professional is measuring what levels of sound pressures are being captured uh, through the different activities that worker is performing. Uh, and so we're much the same, uh, where we're instead of capturing the noise, we're actually capturing muscle exertion. And certainly that data can then be de-identified if that's the wishes of the employer, um, just to give an, a, a, an additional layer to the anonymity of this type of approach. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Anthony Harris, although for a second there, I thought you switched to Reverend Anthony Harris. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I am a preacher's kid. So There, there you go. So you you know, you know it will. Hey, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast and explaining a little bit more about uh, where we are right now with wearable technology and where we could be in the future with uh, preventing uh, and managing injuries sustained in the workplace. Thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to talking again soon. Same here. Thanks so much, Tyler, and it's been a pleasure.